All right, so we were, last week we were looking at Deuteronomy 21. And guess what? We're still there. All right, so, yay, we're still in the same, oh, thank you. Thank you, dear. You can probably turn me down a bit, Colin, if you want. It's a bit echoey back here. Okay, so Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. And it says, When you go out to fight your enemies and see horses, chariots, and a force larger than yours, you are not to be afraid. Now, for those that are visiting today, it's like, well, where, what's this about then? Um, but basically, you could, one of the things that I love about the scriptures is, see, the Old Testament has a veil over it. And you can only understand, really, the Old Testament when you, re- when you remove the veil, which is through Jesus. But then the New Testament has a veil over it. And you can only understand the New Testament when you understand your Old Testament, okay? And so having the two together, you can see things really clearly. So I like going into the Old Testament and I like saying, hey, Holy Spirit, what have you got to teach us through through these verses? And you'll be surprised what God will teach you if you stop and listen. So the key word here is uh, the word see. It says, when you go out to fight your enemies and see horses and see the chariots and force larger than yours, have you ever been in a situation where you've seen something that's really scary, imposing, just like, oh my days, that, isn't, oh God, that is amazing, you know, or, or you, you get that horrible letter through the post that tells you, you know, you owe the tax man £3,000 more than you thought you owed him, you know, that, that kind of feeling. And, and sometimes, you know, as Christians, we, and because of the culture we live in, everything's about, there's that saying, isn't it, seeing is believing, Yeah. And we are so indoctrinated with that kind of idea that as Christians, we often forget that actually for us, we don't, we don't work like that. We don't operate like that. Believing is seeing. It's when we believe, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, and that's what makes things real. Okay, So faith is the opposite to the things of the world. The world is like, see this and deal with it. But the things of the kingdom are always the other way around. Because what's interesting about this verse, it says when you go out to battle against your enemies and see the horses and the chariots and the people more numerous than you, what does it say? What's the commandment? Do not be afraid. Because you see, as Christians, we are commanded not to be afraid. Because you think the thing is, we often look at things in the world, we look at our situations, we look at our circumstances, we look at what we're going on in life, and we somehow think that they're bigger than God. Don't we, if we're honest with ourselves, oh God, you couldn't really possibly deal with this tax bill. I mean, really? You know, but that's how we think, don't we? We just become so encased in our own issues and our own problems that we can't see past ourselves. And we we see the circumstances, we see the situations, we see the mountains. We can't get round them, we can't get over them. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith and not by sight or by what we see. The thing is, when we're in a place of fear, we need to understand that fear is a perversion of faith. Because what fear is, it's saying that I have faith that that thing that I'm seeing has the power to harm me and my situation. It's a form of perverted faith. Whereas faith sees something like the enemy's you know, forces and go, okay, that's impressive. 
But I know one who is more impressive than that. You see, the heart of faith. I'm reminded of that story. I think it's Elisha. And he's got someone with him and all the enemy's armies are, are camped around. And it's like, Elisha, Elisha, can you not see all these, all these armies that are here? Can you not see what's going on? We're all doomed. And Elisha just says, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see what I can see. And then he sees all of heaven's armies that are surrounded, the natural armies. And that's the thing. You see, we are in this wonderful covenant relationship with God. Now, a little bit of theology for you. You're in a, what we call a suzerainty vassal treaty. Okay, Ooh, what's that then? A suzerainty vassal treaty is, is, a, is an old term for when a big powerful city uh, or government, they come, they, they come into your area and they think, oh, that little tribe, he's got some things that we would really like. We like certain things that you make, so we, you can make that for us. We'll come into covenant with you, and if you have any problems, you've got our armies that you can call upon. And it's a similar thing with our relationship with God. Really, there's nothing we can give him, really. You know, there's, not, there's not a lot we've got to offer to this covenant, really, but our love and our obedience. But we have God to call upon. And there's an old title that some Bibles use called Yahweh Sabaoth, which means God, the Lord of heaven's armies. So that when you come into a situation or a scenario, you literally have God, can I please call upon your help and all your angels to help me through this scenario. That's the right and privilege that every Christian has. How often do we use that card? <laughs> it's, uh, we, we've got this like, we've got this get out of jail card, we've got this call on the, on the army card, but it's almost like it's the last card that we ever get, get to using sometimes. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my, how am I ever gonna get through this? Oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And start crying and oh, Lord, what's going on? Phone up your friends, you never guess what happened to me today. Instead, we should like, you know what, crack open the card, dial straight to, uh, straight to heaven and say, Lord, I need your help and I call upon your help and I call upon your angels and everything you have at your disposal to get me through this situation and get me through this mess. Because our God can, he will, he's valiant, he's powerful, he's awesome and he's glorious. And the more that we start thinking and living and living in that place of expectancy, the greater the miracles and the breakthroughs we will see. And I'm not talking nonsense, this is true. This is real true stuff, it works. Hallelujah. It's just that we need to get ourselves to a place where we're comfortable and, and always cognizant that the first thing that we do is not fear, but think, hang on a minute, what does the Word of God say about this situation? What, what does the Bible say about this? You see, if the enemy can lie to you by what you see, we can become intimidated by our natural sight. Because you see, Satan is all about parlor tricks and intimidation. It's all about what you see. You know, Satan's the greatest magician because good magicians are all about sleight of hand look at what's going on over here while you don't realize what's going on over there which is about to trick you yeah so satan is really good at deceiving us and tricking us and you know why he uses the same old tricks because they work every time right <laughs> you know when you start to think oh hang on a minute you know oh what's going on i know what's going on here it's the obviously offended someone already so Satan you know Satan's already done this I've done it to me a thousand times I don't know what's going on here so so basically be aware of Satan's parlor tricks now a famous a famous uh, saying here from a from a famous little dude always what can't be done with you yeah Yoda always what can't be done with you because as Christians we're always like oh yes but God can't possibly do this and, and God can't possibly do that and God can't possibly do this you know it's always what can't be done with you 
Yeah, amen. Do I get an amen? Sometimes it's like that, isn't it? It's like, what is it with us? What is it with us Christians? It's always what can't be done with you. I thought we were called believers. That's what it says on the tin, not unbelievers. All right. You go out, the people that don't believe in Jesus, they don't have a problem with, with unbelief. That's just what they walk in all the time. It's the Christians. We're supposed to be believers. We're supposed to believe that God can and will do something for us because he's promised to us and we're in this wonderful covenant relationship with him. Hallelujah. So we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, so you will note from this series that we're going through that the beginning of this verse says, when you go out. And just again, another bit of theology here. Gosh, look at all these scriptures going out. It's great. When you go out, go out from where? Well, we looked at a few weeks ago, going out from the camp of the Lord. Now, in Old Testament thought, they, their understanding of the presence of God was on the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which was this lovely big golden box. And inside of that was, this, uh, was basically the Ark of the Covenant. You opened it up and inside was the, the, the what was it? You had a jar of manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments or the stone tablets. And then outside of it, you had the scroll of the law. Okay, So that's basically what it was. But the, the Israelites thought that the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. Okay, so... When, um, who is it? Jonah. When Jonah, he, he got a prophecy from God to go and tell the Ninevites something. He said he fled from the presence of God. Okay, that's obviously his, his understanding. So he went to a place called Tarshish. How can you flee from the presence of an omnipresent God? Okay, they didn't quite get it in those days because they thought, well, God, his presence is on that box. And, and therefore, the further I get away from that box, the further away I'm getting from God. Okay, that was his mentality. But I love this verse because it says, when you go out to battle, and then the second half of the verse says, for the Lord your God is with you. It's like, oh, this is, this is a completely new way of thinking. I thought that God was in proximity because he was on the Ark of the Covenant. But now the Lord is saying, if you go out of the camp of the Lord, do not fear, for I am with you. And this is really kind of what I want to focus on today. Because this is, this is the core of really what our Christian faith should be, about, should be about. And that is learning to walk in the habitual presence of God. Let me look at some scriptures here from God's word. Joshua 1 verse 9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and very courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, Wherever you go, hallelujah, he is with you wherever you go. You see, we can walk into some really intimidated situations and circumstances. And I've often said this before, you, you should, not arrogantly, but you should walk around with an air of confidence about you because, hey, greater that he is that is in you than he that is in the world. You can walk into any situation, any scenario, because actually you're not great, I'm not great, but he that in us is great. And he can use little old me and little old you and do exploits for his greatness and for his glory and for his kingdom. Isaiah 41.10 says, again, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. How many times and situations have we put ourselves into, sometimes by our own foibles or sometimes because of situations and circumstances beyond our control, have walked ourselves right into a quagmire of trouble. 
and we get dismayed and we get full of fear and trouble. But actually, as Christians, we don't have to walk around like that. You know, I've told you about this many times with the stock market and everything's going crazy out there in the world. We don't, it's not that we have our head in the sand and we're in denial because we're not, but we can be in the eye of the storm and be in a place of perfect peace. If you choose to, because you and I can live just like everybody else and run around like headless chickens, or we can choose by faith to trust that he really is there. Okay. Because one of the things that, that I get a lot, and, and charismatics, because we're a charismatic church, we're guilty of this. I don't feel God is with me. All right. But you see, the presence of God is sometimes something you can feel. Sometimes you can feel it. But actually, it's something more that you should be able to sense, not necessarily feel. Okay? You might, well, what's the difference? Listen to this. Shut, everyone shut your eyes right now. Lord Jesus, my love, I love you. My glorious King, my God, the Lord in whom I trust, I love you. I delight in you. My beautiful Father, I love you. The Holy Spirit, my beautiful one, my lovely one. I love you, I adore you, I worship you. You are my all and I give you my all, my beautiful Lord, my God and my Saviour. Now you can't feel his presence, but you can sense his presence now. Because as Christians, you've got to stop using the soul and the flesh. We've been given a spirit, and so a lot of these things, we need to reach out to God in the things of the spirit. And so we need to learn to train ourselves to walk habitually in the presence of God. I find that when I've been in a place where I'm really aware of his presence, I'm always in the place of greatest peace. Because it's like, well, if God is for me, well, who can be against me? I mean, doesn't that what the Bible says? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, uh-huh. if God is for us, well, who can be against us? You know, yeah, some say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Well, they might kill me. And then what happens? We go to be with him. So like, either way, you know, it's, yeah, no one likes dying. Let's be honest with you. It's not a particularly comfortable experience. I've done it twice. It's not particularly comfortable, but you know, whatever. So, but, but, but you've got a hope even beyond the grave. So, so what is there to be frightened of? You know, we have that joyous hope. Uh, you know, back in the Roman Empire, one of the things that really spoke to the Roman Empire was one of the things that allowed Rome to take on Christianity as its primary religion, as amongst other things. But one of the things that Rome couldn't understand about Christians is that when there was plagues that were going on, the Romans stayed at home, locked themselves in. Because as far as they're concerned, that's it. When you died, you're done. Okay. <laughs> But the Christians weren't. They were going out and helping people. They were doing good to people, even knowing that it might kill them and cost them their own lives. And it was noted by Roman emperors that the Christians, because of their knowing that there's life after death and when they know where they're going, gave them that assurance that they were quite happy to lay down their lives and even die if it needed be to help people to, you know, in their situations. And that's a powerful witness to people. And that, that brought down an empire that was ruthlessly opposed to Christianity. Yeah, you think about it, power of love does it all the time. It wasn't swords that defeated Rome. It was just the love of God. 
That's what defeated Rome. Hallelujah. So God is with you, not maybe or will be. He is. Now in Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am. The great I am. In other words, he needs nothing from anybody. He is completely all-sufficient, all-sustaining. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's all-knowing because he created all things and everything comes from him and is through him. Yeah. So he, he needs nothing from anybody. He is completely self-sufficient. He is the great I am. And the great I am, if you're a Christian, is living in you. I might not feel like it sometimes. You might look in the mirror sometimes and go, it's not looking like the great I am is living in me, but he really is living in you, hallelujah. And I'm not being rude to you. And, you know, even, even as it's Paul says, hey, like, guys, you know, even though our natural flesh is decaying from day to day, yet inwardly our spirits are going from one degree of glory and being renewed all the time, hallelujah. And then when you wait one day when we get resurrected from the dead, we're going to have our new resurrection bodies. Looking forward to that. So... There was a, a monk a long time ago, back in the 1600s, called Brother Lawrence. Anyone heard of Brother Lawrence? Okay, there's a few of you there. Um, and he served as a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery. And he was well known for his intimacy with God. That was what he was remembered for. Because he, and he'd been injured in some war, and so he couldn't really do a lot around the monastery. So basically, I think the only thing he could do was, was kitchen duties, washing up, basically. That's all he did, just washed up in the kitchens. But he learned to develop that whilst he was there doing washing up, okay, this is not a super spiritual thing. You know, you get some Christians go, if only I could just work for the kingdom of God. You know, do you know what? You can be doing the most mundane of jobs and become the most super saint, you know, an awesome super saint for Jesus. And so this guy, he was just washing up the dishes, but he learned to practice the habitual presence of God. In other words, he just was sensing his presence always there every moment of every hour of every day. But then something began to happen to this very simple man as he became incredibly wise. So much so, much so that politicians and people from all around the world came to meet this guy so they could listen to his wisdom because he gained this wisdom because he just was constantly and consistently resting in the habitual presence of God. He wrote a book called How to Practice the Presence of God or something like that, was it? Practicing the Presence of God, which really the title just gives away what the book's about because it's like, you know, everything he says is actually just got a continual practicing the presence of God. So he didn't even need to write a book, just, just, just could just put on a title and sell that instead. Yes, Jim. Wow, cool, it used to glow. Um, I'm just trying to think of the old washing up adverts. Did they used to, no, it's a fairy liquid, and they like, had some kind of glow around them. And they, you know, yeah, so anyway, so who, who knew, right? So this guy apparently glowed as well, good for him. And uh, I don't know what it was like at night time, he could work all night because he could see what he was doing, it was great, you know. Like, oh look, I can see where I'm going in the dark, don't need carrots now, I've just got the presence of God. So basically, this, this man, whether that, I don't know if that's true or not, but he was a profoundly wise man because he just practiced that. And as I said, the presence of God isn't something you necessarily feel, although you can tangibly, sometimes in the church service when people are really worshiping God, you can sense the presence of God in the atmosphere. But more often than not, you know, in your own personal time when you're at home with Jesus, when you start focusing in on the presence of God, it makes prayer easy. It really does. You know, you know what it's like when you don't have the presence of God and you try and pray? 
It's like, it's like me trying to put my head through that wall, right? It just takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and it hurts, right? But when you start meditating and you just become aware of the presence of God, man, prayer just becomes so joyous, it becomes so sweet, it becomes blissful. It's like you don't ever want to stop praying, yeah? Hallelujah. But of course, we do have to come out every now and then. <laughs> I'm always getting told off for, sorry? Yeah, come out for a coffee or something. So Deuteronomy 21, sorry, 20 verse 1, the second half, it says, Adonai, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, is with you. Now, he brought you up from the land of Egypt. I want you to think of what that means, because obviously we know that the, the Exodus is, is a true story, but it's also a simile as well for what God has done to each and every one of us, in that, that God, by his Holy Spirit, pulled us out of our shackles and bondages to sin and various things that were afflicting our lives and brought us into a place and a land of freedom. Hallelujah. Yeah. And so God wants us to be reminded of that. Because again, the greatest miracle you could ever see, and we don't think it is, and I think that's something we need to address here, is the miracle of being born again. You know, oh, it's just like, just say, uh, say Jesus, hallelujah, and you're saved sort of thing. And we don't really give it much thought. It's like, we don't realise that something amazingly supernatural has happened. You, who were once an enemy of God, then somehow spiritually, your spirit man or woman gets brought back to life, and then you are made into, it says you're made into his likeness, and you go from one degree of glory to another to another, and you're finally glorified either when you die or when he returns. And you are literally changed. Well, that term born again isn't quite the correct Greek. It's actually born from above. So you are born from above. You are made in the image of God in a way that you were never before. You were in Because it says from Genesis 5, after the fall, you are now then made in the image of Adam. That's what the scriptures say. But now we're made back into the image of God. And we forget this. We forget that the greatest miracle that can ever happen is when Dead, unregenerate people can be made born again, born from above, and can be bought, made into children of the living God. So you can have a relationship with the living God. And the living God wants you to come into his throne boldly. Hallelujah. And then we look at everything else in the world that's going on and we just think, oh, could God possibly do this? And it's like the greatest miracle is the fact that you're being born again, let alone parting the Red Sea. as easy. It's easy to, raise, to, to, to part the Red Sea. We've seen it done, right? But to, but to get someone born again takes the work of God. It's a supernatural, wonderful thing that far transcends any other kind of miracle. Why am I saying this? Because sometimes when we come before the enemy in our lives, whether it's a situation, a circumstance, or it is oppression coming towards us, we forget where we've come from. We forget what God has done for us. It's one of the things that the Psalms tells us to do is to recount the wonders of the Lord. Why? So you remember it builds faith within you. You think, no, my God parted the Red Sea. My God vanquished the enemy. My God did this. My God did that. He did this for so-and-so. I know up the road. He did this for me. He did this for my wife. He did this for my kids. And then the more you start to think about it, the bigger you get on the inside until you think, you know what? This situation is nothing because my God can do all things. Hallelujah. And nothing is impossible to him who believes. Hallelujah. It's like that guy that came up to Jesus. Jesus, if you can, could you make me well? Jesus, if I can, to him who believes, all things are possible. 
Amen. To him who believes, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. All things. Amen. So this is the God who delivered us. Now, in the Greek language, because that's what the New Testament's written in, it talks about when people pass on, it doesn't call them dying, it says they've exodoned, or it means they've gone through an exodus and they've passed on to the promised land. It's a lovely, it's a lovely phrase, it's a lovely term. Um, and so we are going through our own exodus right now, but our God is with us and he's there to deliver us and he's there to help us because he will not fail us and he will not forsake us. Look at this, right? Psalm 18, verse 29. Now, I'm a, I'm a guy that takes the word of God literally. So if it says something, right, but well, as far as I'm concerned, and the, I've got the context right, well, then that's what it means, right? So Psalm 18, 29 says, in your strength, talking about God's strength, I can crush an army. My, with my God, I can scale any wall. Mm, amen. <laughs> in God's strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. You can crush an army. It says in Luke 10, 19, how that we've been given power to tread upon snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm you. You can vanquish the enemy. The problem is that we don't believe it or we don't walk in it. And you can scale any wall. No mountain is high enough. I'm not going to sing a song. No mountain is high enough. Nothing, no, no, no issue that you're going through is insurmountable to you and to your God. But you've got to, we've got to connect with our God. You've got to walk through some stuff. Jesus says, Mark 9.23, Jesus said, I've said this already, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I just want to conclude this with, with something that I went through uh, I'm going to be honest with you about what happened to me. The first time I died, I didn't know anything about it, so it's fine, yeah? The second time, it nearly happened. Again, I was, I was okay with that. The third time when it happened, uh, it, I wasn't particularly in a good place, if I'm honest with you. Spiritually, at that time, I was, you know, I was researching a lot of stuff, and, um, and I just wasn't in a good place. And then, bam, I was out. And then when I came to in hospital, I was really not in a good place. Uh, I, was, I just had no, no faith. I was just full of fear. Because I just had this dread of death that was over the top of me. Yeah, it was just, it was there all the time. My poor old wife having to put up with me. Oh, woe is me. I'm going to die. All this nonsense. My wife. Shut up, you crazy fool. <laughs> she should be called Mrs. T, not Mr. T. Mrs. T. Mrs. That's her name's Tracy, obviously. Mrs. T with all her jewellery. It's like, shut up, you crazy fool. And um, <laughs> she was like, you've got to believe God. You've got to stand on the word. And as I said, I was not in a good place. So when I, they, they'd fixed the problem that was wrong with me, praise God. But when I come out of hospital, I mean, I, I was not in a good place. Um, I, I was in such a place of fear and I was having panic attacks. And I just thought, I can't live like this. And I'm not going to live like this because I know from my past experiences that this book will make me prevail. By God's, by God's grace. I will prevail. So I started listening to some of my own sermons, right? Physician, heal thyself. All right, okay. All right, so I started listening to my own sermons and I started listening to like the quotations on scriptures on healing and stuff. And you know what? It, it took work immediately 
suddenly that calm, that sense of purpose came over me and, and the fear of death slowly but surely began to leave and the panic attacks stopped. And I deliberately got myself into a place of strength. And it took a, it took a while because when you've got something inside of you that could technically strike you dead at any moment, that's quite hard mentally to walk through that. And it, and it, took, me, it took me a place to get through that. And, you know, and I was really starting to believe that God would heal my heart. And I remember walking up uh, Titchfield Hill and I was getting these kind of palpitations just walking up a hill and felt the Holy Spirit said to me very clearly, stop thinking you're healed and know you're healed. And it was like, it was a kind of a, a mind shift. And I was like, oh, oh, I get it now. And, and I just thought and pondered on that. And since that time, everything's been absolutely fine. I had to go, because I'm 50 now, right? I had to go for an NHS health check, you know, to make sure that I'm okay, you know. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was genuinely surprised. I was, uh, my blood pressure, they, it was 120 over 80. So that's textbook, hallelujah. My cholesterol was good. Apparently I've only got a 4.3 chance of getting a heart attack now. So, so praise God for that. I was like, wow, 4.3. So hallelujah. And she, yeah, so she didn't know. She didn't know I'd already had several before. But the thing is, is that God, so why have I shared that? It's because I'm being honest with you. There's, you know, there's times where all of us, we've, we've done the right thing and we've been valiant in faith. And there's sometimes where we have slipped up, tripped up and got ourselves into a bit of a mess, which is what I'd done. But if you apply the things of the scriptures and you apply the things that the Bible says, then you can get out of any pit. You can get out of anything and God will be with you and he will not fail you and he will not forsake you and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of a living. Amen. Amen.